It's great to have you here today. My name is Colby. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Pillar Church, and I'm just going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're going to read a few verses from Romans chapter 8 that talk about the resurrection, and then we're going to just spend some time focusing on uh, these words uh, and just seeing what God has to say to us today. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. While you're turning there, I just want to mention, you know, a lot of people put a lot of time and energy into making this service possible. I'd just like you to show your appreciation for our worship team, for our uh, audio video team and the effort they have to put in to be in a new location. Our children's ministry, even though they aren't here, we've got folks watching kids down there. And uh, our setup team, we're just thankful for, for all those who make it possible for us to worship together. And uh, we're gr- it's just great to be here. And I know it's uh, chilly probably for some of you, but we're thankful that we can have such a beautiful day that it's not raining. And uh, let's just give a few minutes to reflecting on God's word and what this celebration really means. Let's read Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. Beginning in verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Let's just pause before we listen to these words and consider these words. Just bow your heads with me and join me as we invite the Lord to speak to us during this time. Let's pray together. Right there in the quietness of the moment, we've come out and we've sang, we've welcomed one another, we've gotten dressed but and uh, ready for Easter, and we're excited. But right there in the quietness of this moment, would you invite the Lord to speak to you? Through a moment of bowed prayer, say, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? I invite you to have your way. Speak, and I'll listen. Lord, we're grateful for this time and for this day, and as we've gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, as we've gathered to hear your word, we ask, God, that you would do uh, what we cannot do for ourselves, that your spirit that has created all things, Lord, would draw near to us in a special way. Lord, as we've sang and celebrated Jesus through song, as we've had the opportunity to read your word, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would now speak to our hearts. God, we ask that you would make this a holy moment, a divine moment where beyond just hearing the explanation of some ideas, Lord, that you would meet with us in a special way. 
And Lord, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open there to where you're at and uh, be able to follow along as I'm going to reference it here from time to time. But, you know, I just want to be really clear up front. When we gather on Easter Sunday like this to celebrate the resurrection, that what we're, we're gathering to celebrate is not just an idea that somehow God grants ongoing existence or life beyond death, but that the body of Jesus went into the grave after he was crucified for our sins. And on the third day, that body was given new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that body that went into the grave was transformed by the power of God. And because of God's decree, God's purpose, God's design, God's presence in this world, and God's purpose for you, that body walked out of the grave. Now that sounds crazy. And I'll just admit it right up front, I think if we live in our day-to-day lives and we, we, we think about what we see and what we experience, we can, we can think, you know, I've never seen that kind of power on display. But you know, when we think about it, we're crazy for being here if we don't believe that there's a God that can do that. The only thing crazier than the resurrection and that we have a God who's powerful enough to act in history is a bunch of people gathered in a park on a lawn celebrating Jesus 2,000 years later who don't believe that God has that kind of power. And so the the reality is, is we're not talking about some theoretical event. We're talking about our confidence in the reality that God acts in history he acts in our lives that that what happened isn't just that God said said I want you I want to tell you a story that he broke into reality and he raised Jesus his son from the dead so we could be confident that we can be right with him and forgiven of our sins and God has that kind of power The God that framed the heavens under which we sit, who created us with all the intricacies of our bodies. God has that kind of power to not only create us, but to give new life when it's gone and raise his son from the dead. And that God who is powerful is here today with us. He's present. He's active. He's He still works in people's lives. And I want us to be confident that he raised Jesus from the dead. And I was just thinking about about some of the reasons I'm so confident that God raised Jesus from the dead. And and, and I would just kind of say it like this. Apart from the resurrection, apart from God raising Jesus from the dead, I still haven't heard anyone explain why the 12 disciples would go from fleeing cowards in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was arrested to courageous preachers of that resurrection within a few short weeks. But they said they had seen Jesus. Apart from the resurrection, I still haven't heard anyone explain why a fisherman named Peter would allow himself and his wife to be crucified for preaching that Jesus rose from the dead if he knew himself that that was untrue and all he had to do was deny it. Apart from the truth of the resurrection, I still haven't heard anyone explain why the apostles would have begun proclaiming the resurrection immediately in Jerusalem, where Jesus had actually been crucified and where Jesus had been buried just a few short weeks after the whole thing happened. Because Jesus was risen. 
Apart from the resurrection, I still haven't heard anyone, heard anyone explain why a Pharisee like the Apostle Paul would leave for Damascus to persecute Christians and show up in Damascus as a Christian. Apart from the resurrected Jesus, I still haven't heard anyone explain why Paul would tell the Corinthians to talk to the 500 people who had witnessed his appearances and were still alive when he wrote about it 15 years later. You don't tell people to go looking for those kind of witnesses unless they're there. You see, we gather to celebrate this morning not a far-off theoretical spiritual idea, but an event that took place that tells us that, that God raised Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, who came to earth, who He promised through Him that His death on the cross would be our provision for our sin's punishment. He said that He would rise from the dead, and three days after His excruciating death, He arose to the surprise even of His closest followers, appeared to them in His, in his resurrected body, eating and talking, caring for their doubts, letting them touch the scars in His hands so they would know that God had the power to save and transform them. The resurrection is the declaration of God's power. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he left witnesses. One of those witnesses was the Apostle Paul, who write, wrote the words that we just read from a moment ago. Paul is the one writing here in the verses we read this morning, and he wants us to make sure we understand that God's active power in the grave can be the active power in our lives. If there's anything that I would want you to take away this morning is this main point, that the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection promises indwelling power for us and an unfading future. You know, we can celebrate Jesus today, and celebrate the power of God to bring him out of the grave. But Paul tells us that the power that brought Jesus out of the grave was always intended to come home to our hearts and transform us. And I just want you to open yourself up for a moment to the, to the reality and the idea that God wants to bring his power of resurrection home to your life. And transform you. Maybe you've never considered that God desires to do this, but that's what the resurrection promises. It's not just historical, but it's personal. And today, I want you to answer one question as we look at this text. I want you to answer the question, is it personal for me? Has the resurrection power that, that brought Jesus out of the grave become personal for me? I'm going to come back around after looking through this text, and I'm going to encourage you to think whether that's true about you and to be able to answer that question. But really, the resurrection promises, and we see it in this passage. This is what Paul wants to show us just from these short verses. It promises indwelling power and an unfading future. If you're here to, to celebrate the resurrection today, there are two things that you can rejoice as you leave today. It's that the resurrection promises indwelling power in your life and an unfading future. I want to I show you in the passage as we do that. The first one is this. Let's look closely at the text. First, we see indwelling power 
to overcome indwelling sin. Indwelling power to overcome indwelling sin. The indwelling power to overcome our indwelling sin all comes into focus when we get inside the main argument of this text. If you still have your Bibles open, look in verse 11 and just see what it says here. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, this is an if then, if that's true, if that Holy Spirit dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So Paul speaks to us about the resurrection of Jesus as fundamentally a powerful work of the presence of God's Spirit. What happened in the grave when the body of Jesus was dead after suffering on the cross is that the Spirit of God was present. And the Spirit of God that was present gave life to the dead body of Jesus. And through the transformative presence of God, the dead man Jesus was made alive. You see, the Spirit of God is the personal presence of God. And where the Spirit of God, there is power for dead things to live. That's what he wants us to understand. He, he's, he's saying, you know, if you get inside the details of how God went about raising Jesus from the dead... That God, who is revealed in Scripture as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in three persons, work together in the glory of the Trinity that are united in essence and heart. And the Holy Spirit is the active agent. And where Jesus the Son took on flesh and was willing to pay for our sins on the cross, the Holy Spirit that unites Father and Son together was present in Jesus and, had, and, and brought the power of God, applied the power of God to his dead body and raised him from the dead. And, and so we see this idea that, that it's the spirit of God that is the personal presence of God. And where the spirit of God, there is power for dead things to live. And it happened in this moment that God displayed his power to give and renew life and raise Jesus from the dead. But Paul's point here in the text is an even more specific one than that. It's that this resurrecting spirit that had the power to raise Christ from the dead isn't just the resurrecting spirit, that that spirit is the indwelling spirit that God promises that his people can receive as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. That the resurrecting spirit of power is also the indwelling spirit of power. That's Paul's point in this passage. In this instance, our life, here's, here's how we're to picture it. In this instance, our life is the dead tomb. Our life is the dead tomb where sin has wreaked its havoc. And it's left us dead to God. His conclusions is, we will stay dead to God and His purposes. We will stay get dead to God and His righteousness unless that Spirit comes to indwell us. That we're nothing but an empty tomb apart from the Spirit of God indwelling us. Unless the Spirit of God penetrates the, the rock walls of our heart, we will be like every tomb full of dead men's bones even while we walk through this life. And so now we see what Paul really wants us to understand and celebrate about the resurrection. We see that the resurrecting spirit is the Holy Spirit, and we can see that Paul presses us uh, to consider these things as he talks about the resurrecting spirit residing in us. So that helps us to be able to then go back and understand verse 9 a little better. 
There, look at verse 9. He, he says in chapter 8, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So what is he doing? What does Paul want us to understand? Well, he, here's, here's what he wants us to see. There are two categories that you might be able to find yourself in today. As you think about your own life, you fall in one of the two categories that, that he, he just described here. He says that it's possible that you can, you can be one who is in the spirit, or you can be one who is living life in the flesh. In, in that, there, in the means sort of power, in the power of the Holy Spirit, or in the natural power that we've had all our life that's just us on our own, going through life in this world. He says those are the two options. You're either someone living on your own power, or you're living through the transformative power of God's Spirit. He divides us into, into two categories. And so let's think about those two categories and, and, what it might, and, and try to help identify where we're at. The first one he describes is that, that some of us are just living in the flesh. Now this is a term that Paul uses for the natural state that we're in. As people who have rejected God and are left to our own devices in, the, in a sinful world. He just, in the flesh is a technical term for our natural selves apart from God. And so he says, uh, he describes that state, and, and you know, maybe this is how you feel today. Here's what he means. We're going on our, on our own life apart from God, just living our life. We're coping with our own powerful desires that often overcome us, drag us into doing things that we know are wrong. We find ourselves overwhelmed. Maybe this is you. Maybe you find yourself overwhelmed by the reality of life's brokenness. We've turned to different ways to try and cope with life that have formed habits in our life that are really just a destructive cycle. You know, it's just us trying to deal in a broken world, isn't it? With the effects of a broken world in our own selfish hearts, and we've established these habits of how we deal and how we respond, dishonesty and defensiveness or distraction, outright rejection of God. And we like to tell ourselves all the time that we're under control, don't we? We like to convince ourselves we have it under control, but if we make an honest assessment, it would be that we don't. We don't have it under control, and it's just an act on the outside. You see, this is what Paul means by life in the flesh. Just trying to deal with all the brokenness outside and inside. Not empowered by God just us. And you know, maybe if you looked at your life, you would say, that's kind of how I live. I don't think much about God. I don't really, haven't learned to rely on his power. I don't have any sense that he's present and working in my life. And I do look in the world and, and, and there's things that are just overwhelming and discouraging. And I feel overcome by them, but I don't just feel overcome by the things that are outside. I I see even in myself that all of my best efforts often fall flat in improving my relationships or changing the things that, that, that need to be changed about myself. And this is Paul's description of life in the flesh. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. But he gives a second option. He gives a second option. He says there's either life in the flesh or there's life in the spirit. The second option is that we live a life in the spirit, meaning in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Which notice when after he says in the spirit, he, he wants us to understand what he means and he immediately describes it by reversing it. He says, meaning that the spirit of God indwells you. So life in the spirit is just life with God present by his spirit inside of you working all of these things out. Life in the spirit means indwelled by the spirit. That spirit is in us. It's doing something new in us. It's bringing the power of the resurrection home to us and doing it transforming work as we live a life with God. You know, if you're a Christian here today, this sounds familiar. You, you know, go back to a time in your life where you began to walk with God. Go back to a time in your life where you realized that you were a sinner separated from God. And remember what that was like. Remember what it was like when finally you realized that God wanted to have a relationship with you. That he wasn't just a distant idea, but God was your personal creator. He was your heavenly father. He loves you and he wanted to bring you into a relationship with him. And you turned and you trusted and believed the good news that Jesus' death on the cross was a death not just for people, but it was for you. And that Holy Spirit, as you asked God to change your life, the Holy Spirit came and filled your life. And you saw things begin to change. New desires came about in your life. You found new strength to battle sin, new resources from God. You felt a sense of thinking about what God wanted in your life. This is the way the Bible describes what it means to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. You became alive to God. He says that this was what it means for us to live life in the spirit. And so the passage helps us to determine which one is never more than like 20 days from being thrown out. But I would, I would be in there and be like, you know, it's so nice to have an office and I'd be, you know, working on stuff for the church. And then the owner would show up and he'd walk people through and they would start being, they would start acting like they owned the joint. And uh, of course he did, you know, and, and it would just disrupt me. It would like jar me. And I, and I was start thinking, what in the world's going on? And they're talking, they would walk through the building with whoever the next client, potential person who was coming in. They'd talk about taking this wall down. We'll move this stuff from the church that they put up and do that and build it. And, you know, they, they had every right to do it because it was their home. But it would jar me into this reality that it belonged to them. Well, the truth is, that this is kind of the idea that Paul is saying of what it looks like for us to live a life with God. It's that we realize that this life that we've been going along thinking that really belonged to us is really intended to be a dwelling place where we are with God. And what it looks like for us to, to really live life in the Spirit is to ask yourself the question, have I ever said to the Lord, welcome home. This is your place. Come on in. You see, when that happens, because of the promise of God in Jesus, he, he says, you know, Revelation 3 describes it this way, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he, the one who opens, I'll come in and I'll dine with them. And it's a picture of like doing life together. <laughs> the Holy Spirit of God comes in and dwells and brings the power of God home to our life. And I want to ask you the question, have you ever opened your life to God that way and said, you're welcome to come in and act like you, you own the place because you do? If not, it's possible you may still be in the flesh 
So, so faith looks like moving from resisting God to welcoming Him into His dwelling. And Paul helps us one step further when it comes to determining whether the Spirit dwells in us. He says it another way at the end of verse 9, real plain. He says, real simply, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Here, the Spirit of Christ is the same as the Holy Spirit. He's equating the two. But Paul calls him the Spirit of Christ because he wants us to understand how does this Spirit that, that we need to welcome home come to, to be with us. And he says that, that this Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, not because he's trying to confuse us, but he wants us to understand the source that, that sends the Holy Spirit into our life. How do we become a people where God dwells? Well, we come to Christ because Christ is the fountain of God's Spirit. He is the place where our sins have been paid for, where we have been covered, we've been set apart by God through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, where now his, the fountain of his power is poured into us. Literally, he says that the Spirit is poured into us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the way that we become a people indwelled by God's Spirit, where God makes up his home, is when we come and we say to Christ, I trust your promise, pour your Spirit into me and make me who you want to be. Spirit of Christ. So, so the question that we, we have to ask is, do you belong to Jesus? Have you kneeled in humble faith before the cross as your God-given hope for new life and received the gift of His Holy Spirit to indwell you and make you a fitting home for God to be at rest in? It's the beginning of knowing the power of His resurrection being worked out in your new life. And this is what, this is the first thing that Paul wants us to understand about why the power of the resurrection can be personal to us is because the indwelling spirit is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Listen, that means right now in your life that God can change anything that needs to change. Some of you might have come in here so discouraged, feeling so weak, Maybe perhaps you're here and you look over the last season of your life and know that you have just fallen flat. You've failed. You might be carrying guilt and shame for how you've handled yourself, for the things you've done that you even know and recognize are wrong, and you've wondered, can anything ever change? Well, the resurrection tells us that everything can change. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead when it comes and takes up resident in you, residence in you, that things begin to change and everything is on the table. If you will just submit yourself to God and walk with Him through the power of His Holy Spirit, He can change even the darkest heart and bring life where there's been nothing but death. That is the biggest idea this passage wants us to consider. We can have confidence of the indwelling power that overcomes indwelling sin because of the resurrection of Jesus. But there is one other thing that this promise also gives us through the resurrection that I don't want us to miss that Paul writes about in here. And it's the second thing to talk about in the point is about half as long as the first one. So some of y'all are getting antsy, worried that I'm going to get you through dinner. Just hang with us. We're going to listen to this last point. And it's this. 
the resurrection promises a resurrected future like our resurrected Savior. You see, this is the focus of the last line that we read today in verse 11. When it says, look closely there, it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And if you're the, uh, the kind of person who likes to underline in your Bible, just underline your mortal bodies. You see, what He's telling us is that we through faith in Jesus, have promise of a resurrected future like our resurrected Savior. This is the Christian hope, not just disembodied hope of eternity, but that we will be raised like Christ is raised, live a life that God intended. And, and, and it's, this is what he's pointing out. This is the focus of that last line. There are some things in life important enough that we need a deposit you see, what he said is the spirit that dwells in us becomes a deposit of our future hope. It guarantees that the God who has, has given us the promise will come back to make good on it. The indwelling spirit is not just the indwelling spirit that has the power to change us. It's the indwelling spirit that will ultimately raise us with Christ for all eternity. The Spirit of God is like a deposit in our life that guarantees that God will bring the fullness of His promise into our future. You know, there really are some things in life important enough that we need a deposit, isn't there? Aren't there? Uh, Annie and I were recently uh, on a trip and we rented bicycles. The bicycles were expensive enough that they wanted to make sure that we were going to come back. Anybody have this experience? You know, I mean, I, I don't know what they thought we were going to do, uh, but we wanted to bring them back. But they guaranteed uh, that we would bring them back. They wanted a deposit. They asked us for our driver's license. You know, you can't go very far. Nobody wants to give up their driver's license. And they cared about those bikes enough that they said, give me your driver's license and you can go ride them anywhere you want because they knew we would show up. It was a deposit, a guarantee. Most reasonable people are going to come back and get their driver's license. When I was a kid, you know, if you needed a guarantee that, that one of your friends and you were making a trade uh, and you were trying to work some deal out that was going to finish up later and you wanted to be able to trust them and you needed a guarantee someone's going to come back and keep their word, you might leave behind your watch that really mattered to you. It's like collateral, right? Even today, if you're going to buy a house, they want to make sure you're serious, don't they? they? You have to pay an earnest as a way of guaranteeing that this is, this is a real serious decision that's being made and that you've taken it seriously, you pay an earnest, a deposit that says, I'm good for the rest of it. Maybe one of the clearest ways we see this is traditionally, you know, in a relationship, it might be fine to talk about, you know, you know, you know people sometimes in a relationship, they start talking about marriage, Right? Somebody says, yeah, yeah, we've been talking about marriage, and we're going to get married. And, and, and everybody else is like, you know, you can talk about marriage, but there's only one way we are sure that you're going through with it. Put a ring on it, right? Put a ring on that finger. You know, traditionally, that diamond ring, which costs a decent amount of money, was a way of saying, you know, I'm not just talking about getting married, but I have every intention of following through on this, but just in case you were wondering, I got something that cost me more than I'm going to tell you, 
that I'm going to leave with you so that you know that I'm going to return and make good on the promise. It was a deposit, a guarantee. Paul says here that the spirit that indwells us is not just a symbolic guarantee, but that God gives to his people a portion of his spirit so that we know that God is going to make good on the ultimate promise that that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what you face, the Christian hope isn't that your life is going to necessarily get better today. Isn't that you're never going to get sick. Isn't that you are never going to suffer. Isn't isn't that, that injustice might not touch your life. The Christian hope says that there's a God who paid for every injustice. There's a God who suffered for every suffering. There's God who paid for sins that we deserve to suffer for and yet gave us grace. And that God says that if we will come to him through the promise of Jesus and let him make his home in us, he will return. He will take his spirit that he's deposited in us and he will make good on the promise. And just as Jesus was risen from the dead, we look forward to a day where there's no more sickness where there's no more sorrow, where there's no more tears, and just as Jesus was raised from the dead, that he'll raise our lives with him. We have a future hope that is the promise of the resurrection. And so some of what we have to be reminded of today is that our reason for entrusting our life to God is still future And we'll understand in that day just how good the promise was. But he gives us his spirit so we can begin to taste just how good God is in the midst of even the most difficult moments of our life. He can grant us peace. Even in the the challenge of our own weakness, he can give us power to overcome things that we thought would always hold us in shackles. That God's promise is good and he's going to deliver the whole thing. When he raises us with Christ. You see we have a resurrected future. A resurrected future with the resurrected king. And so today as you go about your celebrations. As you have lunch. As you think about the resurrection of Jesus. There are two things you can know. That through faith in Christ. There's an indwelling power from the Holy Spirit. That can change you. And change your life now. And there's a promise that one day we're going to be free from all that sin has destroyed and risen with Jesus. But the question is, has that spirit of promise come home to your life? I'm going to ask the band to come up and and prepare as we're going to receive the Lord's Supper in a moment. We're going to sing together. But I want you to take a moment to answer that question. As they come up and get ready to sing a final song with us, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads where you're at. I want you to reflect on this question. Have I trusted the promise by faith? And allow God to come make his home in my life. I wonder if there, in the quietness of this moment on this Easter Sunday, 
as God saw fit to bring you from wherever you were to be here with us. If God just wants to speak to you and help you answer that question for the first time. And maybe you're there today and you would say, you know, there's never been a time in my life where I opened my life to God, where I believed that He desired to have a relationship with me, where I was willing to say, Lord, come in and be the Lord of my life. There's never been a time, but today I realize that I've been living life under my own power in the flesh, and today I recognize that, that something needs to change. And I want to come to the Lord today, and as best as I know how, to turn from my sin and trust Him by faith to give me new life. I want to invite His Spirit to come dwell in my heart and begin a new relationship with God. Now just right now, I want you to ask the question, have you ever said yes to God in that? Have you ever invited Him to come and fill your life? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And if the answer is no, I want to urge you that today can be the day where you experience the power of the resurrection that can come into your life and bring real change and give you real eternal hope. That today can be the first step that you take on a journey of experiencing the power of God's changing, transforming life in your own life. And I want to invite you and encourage you to turn to Him and say yes to God. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as we prepare to sing, uh, if you would say right where you're at, today I realize that I'm a sinner, I'm living life apart from God's presence in my life, and I want His presence. I want Him to come and fill my life, to be at home with me. And I want to put my faith in Jesus. If that's you, I want to invite you just where you're at just to lift up your hand. Is there anyone today who would say, that's me, I realize I've lived a life apart from God, but today I need the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Just as our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, just lift up your hand where you're at. I'm not going to make you get out of your seat or walk down, but I want to be able to pray for you. I want to be able to help you as you take this first step where you're at. You would say, I need to take the first step of putting my faith in Jesus and inviting Him to come and fill my life. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that throughout the rest of this afternoon and evening, Lord, that you would remind us of the powerful hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Lord, I pray for any person right now who is here, who has never put their faith in you. Lord, that they might respond. Lord, that they would call on you, that they would say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your commands and I've lived life apart from you. And today, Lord, I invite you because of the promise of Jesus' forgiveness at the cross and the power of the resurrection to come indwell my life. To make me new, make yourself at home in me. Lord, I welcome you today. And Lord, I pray that you would hear that prayer and that you would grant new life. I pray that you would pursue people who are here with that power, Lord, to give them new life. That you would rescue those who might be on a path toward destruction, 
Lord, that you would turn them to the hope that they can have in Jesus. Lord, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.